The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor-comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning and welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our uh, panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, good to be here. And uh, on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Good morning, Henry. Welcome to you as well. Henry? Yes. Morning, oh, Henry. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Good morning. I'm sorry. No worries. I just blinked up for a minute. I mean, the phone did. <laughs> and, and last but not least, uh, joining us for this week's uh, political roundtable, author of American Schism, Seth David Radwell. Seth, welcome. 
Thank you so much, Tom, for having me back. And good morning, Paul and Henry. Good morning, Seth. Good morning. Well, as you all know, I always start out with a few quotes. The first one being the finish the quote, where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? And uh, it goes like this. Um, Voters don't decide issues. They decide what? Mm. How would you finish this quote? They decide decide what the issues are. No, the the original quote. They decide outcomes. Voters don't dec- voters don't decide issues. They decide who will decide issues. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And that that came from uh, George Will. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, that's a good one. And here's one that uh, that I that got my attention this week. Um, let's conduct ourselves in a way we can all be proud of. Uh. Eric Mays. It was, in fact. <laughs> Believe it or not. <laughs> the, the Flint City Council voted 5-4 to four to elect First Ward Councilman Eric Mays as president during its organizational no, no, no. meeting on Monday, uh, November 15th, then chose first-term 7th Ward Councilwoman Allie Herkenroder as vice president, also by a 5-4 margin. Mays, who is serving his third term on council, has been a leading critic of Mayor Sheldon Neely and his administration, as well as former council president Kate Fields, whom voters replaced in the November 2nd election. Do you think Eric will conduct himself differently as council president? You know, it's, it's, it's going to be worth watching. I, I, I saw most of the meeting. I pulled it up on, on YouTube. And uh, I, uh, I was struck, at least the parts that I saw, were generally more civil than they have been for some time. And I don't think I, at least when I was watching, I don't think I heard one time when anybody said, you know, point of information, Mr. Chair. <laughs> I don't think so. But it, it, at least it seemed more civil than it has been for a while. Whether it lasts or not remains to be seen. But uh, and, and, and that will depend on how others respond to him. Do they give him the respect of authorship of that office? And they got to help him along. They can't just outright condemn him or criticize him. They got to use some tech, and they will make a, a good president and better outcomes for the council and something that's well-deserved by the people of the city of Flint. Yeah, it remains to be seen whether we have a kinder, gentler Eric Mays or not. But <laughs> yeah. As I say, at least what I saw in the first meeting was was mildly surprising. Um, for Seth's benefit, Eric Mays, uh, serving his third term as First Ward Councilman, has wanted to be president ever since he got on the council. But he is often... Um, considered a, a, a significant disruptive force on the council to the point where he's been hauled mm-hmm. out of meetings several times in wow. handcuffs. In handcuffs, yeah, at least three or four times, I Hand- think. In fact, Seth, we used to joke that Eric brought his own handcuffs to the <laughs> meetings. <laughs> well, the, the, the other thing that many of its critics are looking at is pawning a public property. That also. A no-no. That, that's, the, that's the most aggravated kind uh, of uh, well, decision. It, it's, you know, he, he always 
couches his or always has couched his disruptions in parliamentary procedure using the rules to really kind of circumvent any forward moving action and it'll be interesting now that he's directing traffic if if he will just allow things to unfold as they normally should. It, 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 I agree with Paul. It's going to be something uh, interesting to watch, to be sure. Well, another quote that got my attention this week, and uh, this one is, uh, both of these could almost make it into the X-Files, but this one, the quote is, I laid low for a while, but my friends recommended that I leave so as to prevent me from vomiting on any of my constituents. Uh, polling consistently shows Roman showers to be unpopular amongst most demographics. Anybody still there with me? Looks like the uh, looks like the stream has dropped. Hopefully, it'll connect back up in a moment, and uh, we'll resume armchair politics on the Tom Sumner program. Um, are you still with me, gang? Hello. Let's see. Are you still a senior person there? Are you still with me, gang? I, I yeah. kind of lost you for a minute. My uh, mm. my uh, my stream service dropped momentarily. But uh, mm -hmm. did did you get a chance to hear the quote? It was I laid low for a while, but my friends recommended that I leave so as to prevent me from vomiting on any of my constituents. Polling consistently shows Roman showers in quotes to be unpopular amongst most demographics. Hmm. Uh, you got me on that one. Gee, uh, yeah, I don't know at all. Really when you mentioned Rome, you got me. Well, <laughs> <laughs> this, this is one of those stories that, you know, you, you have to see it to believe it. It was the second Bloody Mary that sealed the fate of Michigan Attorney General oh, Dana yeah, Nessel. Yeah. I know. Yeah. The Good state's uh, leading law enforcement officer needed to be helped home midway through the recent Michigan-Michigan yeah. State football game after drinking too much. <laughs> she acknowledged in a Facebook post that was both playful and apologetic. Um, did the AG handle this faux pas well, and is this likely... Uh, this event likely to come up during her re-election campaign next year? I'm I think she handled up. it well. I, so you know, I, 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 yeah, you know, she wasn't pompous. She said, okay, I made a mistake, and I apologize, and not in those words. Well, actually, pretty much in those words, Henry. She said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry I've let people down. We all make mistakes. She said, I made the mistake of drinking two Bloody Marys on an empty stomach, and it got the best of me. And um, she had a designated driver. Her, in, in fact, so she wasn't staggering around too much, they actually wheeled her out of the stadium in a wheelchair. <laughs> um, but it's going to be uh, interesting to see if this comes up a lot during the... Uh, 
during the upcoming campaign. Um, let's see. Well, I think I'm going to have to reconnect with the guys here. See if I can do this. In this day, everybody makes mistakes and everybody goofs up. Yeah. And, and people are so easy to attack attack people for the mistakes because it's easy to lob critiques through social media more than it used to be. Yes. Well, I, I thought she handled it pretty well. And I, in a, a related note, and we'll talk more about this a little later in the show, but um, her go-to PR person passed away last week. Oh. oh. Um, hmm. Kelly Rossman McKinney. Oh, yeah, and uh, she was very well known in Lansing and throughout the state, really. Um, and and so, uh, you know, I think one of the persons she would have turned to to for advice on how to handle this uh, wasn't there. I see. I was not aware of that fact. Yeah. Hmm. I, I didn't know that either. Hmm. I think I read that someplace. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that because she was a real trailblazer in Michigan's public relations uh, industry, oh. and um, and and really, uh, I'm sure you've heard the uh, what was it? Uh, what was the name? Uh, Rossman Truscott or Truscott? Oh, sure. Rossman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, I see. Okay. I, I, when you mentioned the name, it rang a bell. Yeah, I, I certainly heard that that term. Well, yeah, yeah that's uh, and and that's one of those things um, where Truscott was uh, a Republican and Rossman was a Democrat, mm -hmm. and they put together a PR firm, and um, and of course, uh, many people recognize that name as a sponsor of uh, uh, another weekly uh, political roundtable uh, television show from Public right. Television, uh, off the record. Yeah, with uh, yeah. Tim Skubik, they've been longtime supporters of that. But uh, anyway, it was just um, it was just kind of interesting. It was an interesting week for quotes, and and I I have to make this I have to acknowledge this when we have Eric Mays talking about being professional and conducting <laughs> ourselves in a way we can all be proud of. And then, you know, the attorney general for the state is saying, you know, oops, sorry. <laughs> right. <laughs> I got a little hammered at the Michigan-Michigan uh, State game. <laughs> had to be wheeled out in a wheelchair, so, I, you know, I didn't want to stay any longer because I didn't want to vomit on my constituents. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. just, it just seems like the world went, uh, of quotes went a little upside down this That's week. That's true. That's true. Well, we're going to get into some uh, some other interesting things to talk about when Armchair Politics continues, but we're up to our uh, first break, and uh, we're going to let our broadcast partners at uh, WFOV, our voice is Radio 92.1 LPFM in Flint, squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when the we go to break. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House, Spectacle Productions, and my good friend Paul Herring. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well, so don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse. We'll be right back. Everybody's doing 
it on brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place 
with magical charms indoors 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 take it away hi this is deb cherry genesee county treasurer and you're listening to the tom sumner radio show and welcome back, everybody. Uh, Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Seth Radwell. And uh, we uh, move on to some local items. An air permit for a proposed Ajax Materials Corp. asphalt plant near the township, I think that's Genesee Township, and City of Flint border has been approved by the state despite a citizen campaign launched against it. The Michigan Department of Environmental, Great Lakes, and Energy announced the permit approval in a news release Monday, but said the green light for the project comes with a host of site-specific conditions and restrictions that provide safeguards to ensure compliance with the law and to better protect the community. Among the conditions are provisions of the permit that remove the uh, company's ability to burn waste oil, limits on the sulfur content in fuel burned, more stringent testing of stack emissions, and enhanced fugitive dust plant that includes additional paved area and long and short term limits for volatile organic compounds including a VOC testing requirement. Opponents of the project have said it amounts to environmental racism. The Flint City Council has also approved a resolution authorizing city officials to do all things necessary to object to the air permit. Newly elected Flint Third Ward Councilman Quincy Murphy told the town hall Monday that he committed to doing what he can to stop the Ajax development. Filing a court action should be considered, Murphy said Monday, if they don't listen to the cries of the community. Is this another example of environmental racism? No. Can I, can I just uh, point to this with some common sense and good judgment? This process, this scientific process, has been used for years and years and years. And they've taken uh, the caution to move that plant northeast of Flint. The prevailing southwesterly winds blow that dust and debris and chemicals away from them into the other communities like Genesee and Clio and those places like that. And if the stack is built high enough, they will get both dispersion and dilution of any of the, uh, the gases that will, will cause uh, respiratory problems to uh, raise them. I, I think they, they need to think about this or to hire someone that can walk them through that process, how that works. Other people are going to get the benefits of the, the ashes and the blow-by. Like Harry, wasn't there, wasn't there a similar plant in, in, in yes. roughly the same area about a decade or so ago? Yeah, it was going to be on was Stanley similar Road. Issues being raised? Yes, yeah. yes, it was going to And General Motors, it was going to be a General Motors subsidiary. But that oh, cut yeah. out a lot of joys, uh, jobs, and deprived the community from future, gro- future growth. And I, I, I would hope that they would have someone on the council who really understands these projects, that they should hire someone to walk them through. They should go to Tuskegee, uh, Alabama, or maybe um, the the college in in Washington, D.C., where 
that have good reputations and ask him to comment on it uh, to give them a, a feel of the other side of the story. But this is, this. I'm sorry, and I'm probably making more enemies than I need to, but uh, I'll say that <laughs> based upon what I know, not what I believe, but what I know. You're, you're lucky Woodrow Stanley isn't here this week. Yeah. <laughs> but and yeah. he has a, I, I'll say nothing, he has a point of view. But uh, I don't know where his point of view would come from the scientific community or from the old Aristotelian uh, scholasticism. Now, are, are, are those restrictions going to be enough to to take care of any kind of environmental and health concerns? I mean, I, I, your scientific knowledge yes. is much better than mine, Henry, on those kind of things. Yes, uh, they do that. But anywhere that they petition uh, a community to allow it to have a permit to operate uh, a disposal facility, they have to go through that. You have to get public comment. And, and stuff like that. But in the last analysis, the judgment is based upon what is scientifically true and what is the, the best uh, position to settle the argument, not on what is, is, uh, is favored to people who are critics. The people who disfavor the project could be critics without any interest in the, the a positive outcome. So they can impede the process. Well, and we probably need this uh, this to uh, destroy waste and to get rid of waste products. Well, we there's a school plant. of thought, and and it's been growing in over the last few years that with manufacturing comes some pollution, some yes. disruption to the uh, the environment, and that routinely operations like this are put in or near neighborhoods predominantly uh, populated by people of color. But in this case, it's northeast of Flint, and, and, it's, uh, and the prevailing winds blow the, uh, the impact of the fallout from the stacks. Although I think the, isn't, the reality is that the folks who are, are affected by that have probably got less power to object to it and you should place the same thing in Gross Point or Birmingham or the Miller Road area of Flint, for example. Uh, you know, I, I think that there is a selection of of areas where, yeah, it's going to cause some reaction, but the folks who are going to react are going to have less power. No, hey, don't get areas. me wrong. Don't get me wrong. This has happened for years and years and years when black people didn't have a voice. They used to put that stuff in, yes, and it caused a lot of, of anxiety health risk, uh, degradation of the community. Yes, that used to happen. But well, now and, we're and better educated. And but we, the, the question, you know, remains, and, and I don't know, the picture you paint of this is, is different, I'm sure, than what some of the people that are against the idea are imagining will be the outcome of locating this uh, facility where they're going to put it. But for the last several years, there's... There's been sort of this exception that um, accepting of uh, the notion that, yeah, we have been putting manufacturing, you know, close to people of color yeah. and uh, mm -hmm. people that are disadvantaged can't really don't really have a voice. And, and so there's there's been this talk that we need to stop doing that. And, and yeah. what I'm asking is, 
with the location of this facility and and the fact that the uh, uh, the approval agency from the state has signed off on it, um, it despite a lot of public blowback and pushback. Yeah, yeah, that, they're going to get that. Are, they, are, are have we learned anything at all, or are we just still doing the same thing? There's a place, you know, uh, there's a facility that wants to go in someplace, and they're going to put it, you know, in the same places that they always put them. Well, uh, you know, like I. Yeah. Oh, well, go ahead, please. No, I just it's it's you know listening to you guys talk about it. It's, it's not being local, but it seems like these types of stories are are repeat themselves quite frequently. Yes, and and you know uh, if that if it had been put in Flint Township or uh, say uh, Linden or any of those communities or Grand Blank, that, you know, you had yeah, Grand Blank, it would push yeah. the air over the city of Flint. The prevailing winds, which uh, blows across the landscape into the city community, and uh, but it's it's moved out beyond the city of Flint and into the northeast area. So the prevailing winds doesn't circulate air around again over Flint. It keeps pushing it in that direction. There's a trajectory that the air follows. And by the time you're so far away from Flint, you get the dilution and the dispersion. You don't get the impact of what you used to get when the Buick Foundry was there and all of those other smoking uh, factories. Yes. Henry, that sounds like putting a lot of faith in a steady southwestern breeze. (laughs) Yeah. But that's how how the air moves across the landscape. You can't stop it. Is there a reputable uh, scientific group that does a study of that and publishes it? You know, what you're saying is very interesting. I'm just wondering, what's the source of that information? The source of the information is found in, um, I can't give you a specific... Seth, that, that happens only when a group is convened from, you know, with experts from one or more of the area colleges. Um, Typically, um, local governments, whether it's the city council or one of the township boards, um, typically they rely on the state department to oversee it, the the Department of Environment, Great Lakes, and Energy. Air quality, yeah. Um, and, And they tend to be pretty business friendly yeah mm-hmm. and i'm thinking that even if the winds don't blow it blow that material into flint it'll blow it into genesee township or yeah township blow it. or towards clio yeah. in your area Henry. yeah all kind See, of there, there's so the other people will be affected by it yeah other people would be affected by it but it would not be flint it would be other people and, and they can argue, right. make the arguments for other people. Yeah, I'm not so sure that justifies it, just because it affects somebody differently. You know, it's, yeah, it's I don't think, no, that's Genesee not. Township or Clio is going to get hit, or somebody but, else in that area. But you have to be moved into an air permit attainment area. Flint has not yeah. has not been for a long time an air permit attainment oh, area. Oh. That means that you got to beat the standards of air quality for that region. But if you're moved mm-hmm. into the outer county there where the 
where you're meeting the, the standards of air quality, then it's most likely to be put into an area like that, uh, logically, logically. But uh, you can um, contact the Department of Air Quality in Lansing, and they'll send you brochures and booklets and studies and summaries and stuff like that that will provide some information for those folks. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, Seth, what happens with a lot of these kinds of projects, uh, you know, and very often it happens in urban areas, um, they'll put a plant in, uh, you know, the poorer communities. Um, yeah. In, in, with whatever they're making, you know, whether they're tanning deer hides or making asphalt or, what, you know, whatever operation it is, they tend to locate in these uh, poorer neighborhoods and there's been some people raising issues about that and it's the the state agency the oversight agency relies very often on reports that are made by the people that are putting the plant in yeah yeah you know they, yeah, they do a study standards and, and and you know they 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 say basically what Henry just said. We've designed this in such a way that you know the 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 default prevailing wind is going to blow it away from you know the people who usually suffer from these things. They're not addressing any of the issues of chemicals that leach from the plant or you know where where any of those things happen. But the company does a study and says, you know, we're going to do this and this and this, and it'll all be great and fine. And then the state, you know, holds some public hearings, and regardless of what the people say, nine times out of ten, they sign off on it. Yeah. Well, right. you know, uh, there there's some history there that we're not looking at. Uh, now, remember, General Motors spent billions of dollars on air quality uh, materials for the foundry. They spent yeah. billions of dollars on water quality, discharging water that would meet the standards of the Flint River. And they, and these regulations drove General Motors into bankruptcy. They just could not afford the amount of money that they were putting uh, into these, um, into these uh, well, areas those to meet these uh, stringent requirements for air quality and water quality. So they eventually decided to move out of this area and uh, move somewhere else, particularly in the south. That's what's happening. Legacy costs um, played a big role in that as well. Um, And and this this all depresses job development in the area, particularly for the people. And that's something that we ought to be concerned about. You know, some a similar stories also happen when we put in highways. You know, another same story here with I-475. When that went in, it disrupted one of the older black communities in the city of Flint. And that often happens with so many cities when they put in, you know, highways or interstates that uh, the areas where they put those very often are the minority areas where they're going to be the least congested. Yeah, they basically paved over it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 for, for Seth, I-475 is kind of an interstate that runs right roughly through the center of Flint. But there were a lot of people, white people who lived in that area that weren't no higher on the totem poles and were black. True, 
Because they went to school with some of them, where they paved over. And uh, we, they had to take the same uh, punishment that blacks did. So, I, you know, I, and what they did, they tried to put it through town where you had the least amount of capital investment. And um, people who designed them, uh, designed them that way, whether right or wrong, but that's what needs, somewhere in the process you need to change that. And I think black Americans are getting to the point where they have a voice now and where they can work together and discourage some of this stuff. But you got to think through strategies that give you uh, both a, a sustained way of life as you uh, discourage um, tactics like environmental racism. Well, let's move on. Uh, Anita Stewart is uh, resigning from her position as Flint Community Schools superintendent, making her the sixth leader of the district that has either quit or been fired in the last decade. Flint Community Schools confirmed the resignation with a statement Friday evening. Interim Superintendent Kevlin Jones will take Stewart's place. Stewart is currently suing the school board for violating district bylaws and procedures and interfering with her day-to-day operations. Stewart's been on leave since September 2nd, just days before the lawsuit was filed. She briefly returned from November 5th to the 12th. Board President Carol McIntosh and board members Joyce Ellis McNeil, Danielle Green, and Laura McIntyre are each named as defendants in the lawsuit. Adrian Walker is the only then-active board member not named in the lawsuit. There will be a hearing on a motion uh, to dismiss the lawsuit on December 6th at the Genesee County Circuit Court. It was originally scheduled for November 15th but was adjourned to a later date. Has the Flint School Board acted inappropriately, or was Miss Stewart a bad fit for the job? Well, if we knew more about the situation, we could probably respond to that. But I don't know all of the uh, the background and what There's is happening. There's a lot of personal friction there. I know. I, well, yeah. just, the, in general, the behavior of the Flint School Board is is almost making the. Uh, Flint City Council looked good, which is no small accomplishment. I mean, the turmoil there is, is dramatic, and the collapse of the, the Flint school system is astonishing. I think they're below 3,000 students now. And a few decades ago, they had something like 45 or 48,000 students. And uh, every time they do a student count, the numbers are significantly lower. And that, I, I really do wonder how long they're going to survive if this I, continues. I, 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 I agree with you, and they had to fight with the Mod Foundation. You know, exactly. they need to right. get their act together. Yeah, that's because what, that's they what can't I'm bringing get a hundred percent of everything they want. They got to work with other people, and the power, the people who have the power, decide, make the decision. So sometimes you have to cave in a little bit. Well, I just, I just think they've, uh, they've gone through quite a few superintendents in the last ten years. I mean, six. And it it makes you wonder if if maybe the the uh, board itself is the problem. Wrongful discharge it will cost them a lot if that's what they did or what they intend to do. But they better make sure they get it right the first time. Yeah. 
Well, the federal judge on Wednesday gave final approval to a $626.25 million settlement of civil claims against the state of Michigan and a handful of other parties resulting from the lead poisoning of Flint's drinking water in what is one of the largest civil settlements in state history. The settlement designed to send the brunt of the proceeds to Flint residents who were children at the time of the water crisis is still only considered a partial settlement of civil claims. That is because some defendants, such as the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, are not part of the settlement. And the question is, and and we've talked about this for years, is this the final solution, or as uh, Winston Churchill would say, the end of the beginning of (laughs) Flint water crisis settlements? I was going to say the beginning is the end, I hope, but I, I don't know. Yeah, I was thinking the same Churchill quote there, too. But uh, I'm sure there'll be more lawsuits, but you get the sense that even with all the dissatisfaction and the grumbling about this, that this this may be the beginning of the end, uh, the, at least the financial end of the water crisis. Mm. Well, Churchill's quote <laughs> was, this isn't the end, it's not the beginning of the end. Think of it as the end of the beginning that's right was it really in what really in world war ii wasn't it yeah, yeah. Right. churchill was one of my favorite people me as well but again people are going to be unhappy i i, I mean i understand that the damage is done and there may not be any amount of money that can correct all of that um for the, particularly for the kids who were affected by this so as I say, I don't know what, what numbers would, would, would make anybody happy, but it may Guys, be the beginning of the end. When we started this conversation several years back, one of the things that we predicted is that the, it will not take one to five years and they have all of the pollution out of the water and pipes replaced and stuff like that, but it would take 20 years, I predicted. And in yeah. this case, um, now that we've did all this groundwork and set a platform and an action strategy for communities that face this kind of stuff. Look at what's popping up. Benton Harbor, uh, Detroit, areas around Detroit. All of those people are standing in line waiting to spend the Treasury's money uh, for for, uh, injury done to them through water pollution and uh, industrial activity and commercial activity, et cetera. There's only so much money in the barrel, guys. And you gotta look God. at looking for solutions that kind of uh uh is compromised. Well we've been hoping that Flint would become a model for when this happens in other communities, but is it more likely to become a cautionary tale? It might become the cautionary tale. Yeah, I'm afraid so, yeah. Yeah, the, the early on I had some hopes that particularly some of the uh universities around here might be able to get together and form some kind of a a coalition to to scientifically deal with these kind of water issues and, and provide some real solid solutions. It, you know, there were some various studies done, but it never quite happened in the way that I, I thought might, might be a possibility. So I, I, I think uh, what they need to do is uh, to figure out uh, Lansing and uh, the EPA need to sit down and talk about how they move ahead because Michigan is a problematic state. So is Missouri and Ohio and Indiana and Pennsylvania, all of those. 
Great Lakes uh, businesses that poured air, uh, contaminated air into the atmosphere and discharged contaminated water into the Mississippi. I'm at, no, i I got to cut you off. We're going to take a short Hello, break. We'll be right back. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Say Objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. 
Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable, continues on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Seth Radwell. Governor Gretchen Whitmer has vetoed a bill that would have forgiven Michigan businesses their first workplace safety violation related to COVID-19 and refunded companies that had already paid their COVID-related fines. The bill would cause the uh, Michigan Occupational Safety and uh, uh, Health Administration to fall below the minimum standard required by federal law, which would have disastrous consequences for the state, Whitmer wrote in her veto letter. When a state fails to maintain the minimum standard, it loses control over enforcement of workplace standards, uh, she wrote. That would mean higher penalties, an end to voluntary safety, outreach services, and the loss of Michigan stakeholder voices in our occupational health and safety program. I will not let that happen. Is there an important federal component to this uh, to this issue? Hmm. Well, OSHA is federal. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I don't oh, know the exact number. OSHA is involved. Yeah. Yeah, so assuming those numbers are correct, I mean, the veto may, may may have made sense for that reason. We probably couldn't afford to lose those kind of money, those kind of funds, if we had violated some of those standards. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, former U.S. Representative Mike Bishop told reporters last week that he's weighing another run for Congress, but he's waiting to see how redistricting lines end up before deciding. Bishop, a Republican from Rochester, lost his seat in Congress in 2018 to Democrat Alyssa Slotkin, who is now in her second term. Bishop indicated he'd likely look at the draft congressional district covering parts of Oakland and Macomb counties. That means his campaign wouldn't be a rematch with Slotkin of Holly, who has said she intends to move to the Lansing area to run in a district there. When districts are finalized, will there be a flood of campaign announcements? Are there going to be some surprises, and is this one of them? Oh, I think so. I mean, I think candidates right now are waiting to see well, yeah. whose district they're in, who they're running against, whether they have, they're facing another incumbent. Uh, yeah, there's a, I've taken a look at some of, the, <laughs> some of those districts out there already, and uh, several of them, at least in our area, would have tossed Dan Kildee in with another incumbent, at least one version of it. Um, so, no, I, I would imagine all, all members of Congress and, and other elected officials are waiting on pins and needles to see what those final maps look like. And Paul, you know, I'm I'm wondering why so many candidates want to move into a cesspool that has no structure and order, and 
and their engagement would mean uh, further degradation of the system unless they come in with a philosophy that's completely counter to the way that we govern ourselves today. I, you know, I, that's, that's, that would be interesting to me. Uh, I hear nobody saying that we're going to work with uh, the Democrats and we're going to work with Republicans to uh, create a system where we can discuss issues of importance that to people and people want to see handled before Congress or before the state legislatures. I don't see that. And so I don't see any improvements in government until that happens. Yeah, I think we're going to see, see more competitive districts across the state. That certainly was the goal of this new commission to to draw these districts. And I think individual members like Slotkin may take a look and say, well, gee, if I moved over here, I'd have a better chance of winning. I'm sure individual candidates who want to continue their political careers may make those judgments about, gee, if they moved you know, a few miles east or west, they'll be in a different district and all of a sudden will have a better chance or avoid a worse chance of getting elected. So. Well, uh, Henry, sure Henry <clears throat> touched on a, a an interesting point, and and it's and it's just simply this: these people are all having these late night meetings with their you know friends and advisors and so on, trying to decide where it'd be best to run. But we don't hear anybody put it burning the midnight oil about where they want to serve. Yeah, that's true. But where they want to go? Where they want to take the community or the country? Uh, for the best uh, chances of survival for all of us. And, yeah. and this you is know. going on in states all over the country because of the, the recent uh, census, albeit tardy because of COVID. Um, it's, it, district lines are being redrawn all over the country, and, you know, people are trying to decide, are, you know, are they going to run again? Is, is Are they going to be in the same basic geographic area do they need to you know adjust their campaign structures to fit a different district and and so on and it's it's all about the horse race yeah well go ahead Seth. i'm sorry the new york times had a very detailed article about this last week that talked about and did an analysis showing that because of this redistricting, that many districts, many seats, are becoming less and less competitive. That over time, it's 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 eroding the competitiveness of of, of seats, and that's I think a, a problem. And one of the things I talk a lot about in American Schism is why I make the case that term limits make sense at this point. I, I go through carefully that there are both pros and cons of term limits. And I discussed them both, but explain that given the fact that more energy and, and, and money is being spent on re-election as opposed to solving public policy problems, we've tipped the balance and we really should consider term limits at the federal level. And, and you know, you let know. me ask you, let me ask you this. Uh, the, well, the way we're moving, the way you see it, are we moving into a period of stagnation? where we can never have anything new and different created, where we can learn to work with each other and improve government uh, to uh, kind of model what the Constitution, if we maintain a Constitution, uh, had intended for us to uh, govern ourselves by. 
Where are we going with this? Are we moving into stagnation? You know, Harry, you make a good point that uh, for all the complaining we do about Congress, Congress has always got these extremely low ratings. But in an average election, 90% or more of all incumbents get reelected. And it's in large part because of the gerrymandering process for, the, for, for many, many years. Well, the, the analysis that I, that I discuss in, a, in the book, American Schism, relates to an analogy with the private sector. As, as you guys probably know, I spent most of my career in business, building businesses. And, you know, the concept that we tend to use in the private sector is one related to renewal. So anybody who's in the same job for a certain amount of time, when they get really good at that job, it's most likely time to move on to a new challenge. And renewal is very much correlated with innovation and new ideas. And I think part of the problem in the public arena is that we suffer from a lack of innovation because we don't have enough renewal. And, and that's another reason why I think the, the idea of term limits is something that we should really consider more seriously. Well, well, we have the name of the We've got it here in Michigan, and, and in general, I think most, uh, most, maybe both parties, and maybe even people outside of the parties, have concluded, have come to the conclusion that they have not worked terribly well. Cause well, the you problem have, in, the in, problem in Michigan, is, you have six years in the House and eight years in the Senate. Then you got to right. move on. The problem is, is that there, you know, term limits uh, uh, allow for turning over the the legislators themselves, but the infrastructure staffs yeah. and departments and yeah. and of course these huge lobbying organizations don't reboot yeah. as the part of term limits. The bureaucracy doesn't change. And, and, and so if, you, if, you're, if you're a new member of the state state house, you learn your job from the bureaucracy, from the lobbyists, because they've been there a lot longer than you've been there and you're gonna be gone in six years at the most. Right. Yeah, one of the downsides of, of term limits that, that we've seen, at least in Michigan, is that um, the elected officials are always the new kid on the block. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and of course, the well, other thing we, we, see, we also yeah. see just simply a rotation where, where individuals will run for the state house, the state senate, bounce back to the county board of commissioners or some other local job for a while. It's the same people, but they just play the musical chairs with, with so many of those positions, too. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's, that's, a, um, that's a subject we've spent a lot of time on in, uh, in Michigan, Seth, and, and on this panel. Um, because the hope was, and very much like as you suggest, the idea is... Um, you know, renewal and and uh, re-energizing the system by turning people over. You know, and, and yes. but it just it hasn't worked. And and people in Michigan voted statewide significantly yeah. to have term limits, and and I think they've uh, been disappointed <coughs> in the outcome. I, I don't think it did what they hoped it would do. That's fascinating. That's very interesting. I need to uh, look at that more carefully. Well, yeah, it's it's uh, the deep state part of it, and some of the people that I talk to that have worked in government are, you know, a little, uh, uh, well, a little frustrated by 
people talking about the deep state and draining the swamp and all that because a lot of the people that are in the agencies and, and the various departments are the are the professionals that are pretty much responsible for keeping the trains running on time. Right. <laughs> uh, but but I, lobbyists yeah, is true. a whole different animal and, and something that needs a lot of attention. We have to take a break here. Um, and uh, go to our top of the hour uh, show ID. But we'll be back in, uh, in just a couple of minutes with the second half of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by author Seth Radwell. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 